Well, that's it. After an 11-month season with the final eight or nine game weeks crammed into a month-long period, uh, all of Europe's major leagues have been decided. Uh, Liverpool have been crowned Premier League champions, their first in the modern era, uh, while Real Madrid clinched the first La Liga title since the departure of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Serie A still has games remaining, but Juventus made it nine Scudettos or Scudetti in a row with a win over Sampdoria last week. Um, outside of Europe's Big Five, Eredivisie was curtailed with no champion announced this season, much to the dismay of Azed Alkmaar. Uh, but in the Championship, Leeds United and West Brom Albion were promoted back to the big time, Leeds eventually finishing 10 points clear of second place. Uh, we await to find out who will be joining them coming through the playoffs to make up the Premier League's 20 teams next season. Uh, but in Portugal, it was a familiar story as FC Porto lifted the Primera Liga title for the 29th time. They capitalised on a pretty spectacular run of form from Benfica and I don't use the word spectacular in a good sense uh, as they lost to Maritimo, Santa Clara, Drew with Tondela, Famalisao among others. Um, it means it is now 18 consecutive seasons where one of Porto or Benfica has won the league title um, and that's as good a link as any to introduce uh, my guest for today's pod. Uh, it is Tom Kundert from Portugal uh, which is a play on words I've always admired I have to say. Um, Tom is a journalist author of The 13th Chapter, A Journey Through Portuguese Football, and the man you need to speak to for, for your Portuguese football knowledge. Um, Tom, welcome to the podcast. I, I hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for having me, Joe. I find it's always really insightful to, to speak to someone who, who's written a book on, on their area of expertise. Um, well, what is the book about and, and where can people find it? Uh, OK, well, there's a couple of books there. The first one, A Journey Through Portuguese Football, is kind of a... A compendium of various texts basically focusing on the 2012-13 season which was an amazing season in Portugal. Same story that season but it was a particularly epic battle. Neither side lost a game all season until the penultimate game of the season when Benfica lost to Porto in Porto with a injury time winner. And so it focuses on that season but also about uh, football in general, lots of different topics about uh, the history of the game and lots of contributions from outside authors as well, people like Michael Cox, James Horncastle, Andy Brassel, and, uh, and of course all the Portugal team. The other book we published, the 13th chapter, is all about the Seleção, the national team, going through the history of their tournament history, every one of their tournaments, from 1966, which was actually their first tournament, of course did so well with Eusebio, finished third in the World Cup, right through to 2016, when they actually lifted their first trophy ever. Excellent. Uh, I suppose back to, to more contemporary matters, it was quite an interesting season in Portugal. Um, Porto eventually winning the league, but, but they weren't leading the table for much of the season. Um, I briefly mentioned the collapse that Benfica endured throughout the second half of the campaign. And I suppose from your privileged position, what was it like to see such an unprecedented run of, run of form from one of the country's biggest clubs? It really was unprecedented, that's right. And like you said earlier in your intro, spectacular, I think is, is the right word. This doesn't, this just doesn't happen in Portugal. You know, the Sporting, Porto and Benfica, you know, they're so far ahead of the rest. You know, if they lose or if they fail to win in two or three games, it's a crisis. And Benfica in... 12 games in all competition, 12 or 14 games. I think they, they won two absolutely incredible loss of form. And of course, I say the big three, but also has really been the big two the last few years. And Benfica and Porto have been so far ahead of the rest. 
Uh, yes, yeah, so it, it ultimately cost uh, Bruno Lage his job at Benfica, um, you know, conceding his grip on on that title, which which would have made it six title wins in the, in the last seven seasons for Benfica. Um, but what does that mean now for the club? Um, you know, will Nelson Verissimo remain as the team's head coach and, and oversee something of a rebuild? What, what's what's in store for them? No, he won't stay because uh, there's quite sensational news which uh, broke a few days after Bruno Lage was was dismissed or he he walked away. He resigned actually, uh, which was that Jorge Jesus will be returning to Benfica. Of course, uh, Jesus had this uh, fantastic year in Brazil at Flamengo. So uh, there's been a, quite a lot of talk, really, almost ongoing. You could say almost from the moment uh, George Jesus left that, uh, that you know, he would perhaps return to Benfica one day. He left in very acrimonious circumstances. And so a lot of Benfica fans aren't too happy about it. But, uh, of course, he was a fantastic success at Benfica. He won the title three times in six years, which uh, was remarkable when you think that in the previous 15 years, it was probably the, the darkest time in the club's entire history. They'd only won the title once. And so it's going to be very interesting to see if he manages to achieve the same sort of success again. Yeah, that's really interesting because just because Jesus is, is sort of a is, is an icon of, of Portuguese football as you mentioned. Um, but I mean, we've talked about Benfica, but I, I suppose it's only fair that we we give as much airtime to the champions, really. Um, Porto, who were you know relentless from from the restart in early June, dropping uh, just four points, I think, un, until the title was secured. Of course, um, from from the Porto side, uh, who in particular impressed you during during those last two months or so? Yeah, they've done, you know, they've done really well, Porto. I think you have to say Sergio Conceição has, you could say, almost kind of miraculously uh, brought Porto back to the top of Portuguese football. He's won two out of his three seasons. He's won the title twice in his three seasons there. And Porto are really in very bad shape financially. You know, it's not the best of squads, to be fair, to be blunt. Well, you could say this for the whole of Portuguese football, that the level of quality has reduced quite drastically from five, ten years ago. Porto, you know, they've got a squad which Sergio Conceição has got the absolute best out of. The standouts, I'd say uh, some of the players brought in have done quite well. The goalkeeper, Augustin, uh, Augustin uh, Marchesin, Argentinian, I've been very impressed with him. He's proved a good buy. Jesus Corona, the Mexican uh, winger who actually plays at right back, or he played at right back for a large proportion of the season, uh, you know, and he's an excellent player. You know, really Porto's most creative outlet in a quite a workmanlike team, uh, but he was a real creative outlet. He, you know, is always a bright spark. And of course, the left back, uh, Alex Tells, we can't really overlook his contribution. He's a left back, but his uh, provides an amazing amount of assists and goals. But, uh, you know, Brazilian left-back, really, really top performer, him as well. And uh, probably, unfortunately for Porto, Tells especially, will uh, looks like he'll be on his way this summer. Um, with, with this being the, the Scouted Football podcast, of course, we should probably get to, to the under-23s. Um, but beginning with Porto, the champions, they, they probably aren't the focus of our interests today. 
um, but we should begin with them. But they, they do have a, a few young players who, who've had sort of bit part roles in, in the first team this season. Um, Fabio Silva, Romario Barro, Diego Leite, uh, Vito Ferreira and the like. You know, these are all very promising players and, and rightly so have, have sort of been kept relatively on the fringes this season. When they have played, have they impressed you? And do, do you think they, ha- they all have a future at the club or will some need to move elsewhere? Who do you sort of rank highly among the, the younger lads at, at Porto? Yeah, well, I'm glad I'm glad we start this conversation about youth football on Porto because, of course, everyone knows that Benfica's academy recently has just churned out an amazing number of really high quality players, and of course, before them, Sporting uh, had no end of uh, you know fantastic talents coming out of their academy, and it's it's interesting what's happening at Porto because I think there's a bit of a shift. I'd be lying if I said that they contributed a lot, you know, the homegrown youth players contributed a lot to this championship they didn't you mentioned it there and you're absolutely right they were pretty much on the fringes but there there has been a definite shift they've had to really focus on their uh, you know their youth setup you know if you can't go out and buy these fantastic players you've got to make them and uh, they've done their their academy hasn't been as spectacularly successful as as Benfica's over the last few years but they have had some big successes uh, of course, Andres Silva, uh, Diogo Dalo, uh, you know, two players who were sold for a lot of money. And Ruben Neves, of course, another one. That kind of signalled a bit of a, a sea change in how Porto looked at their academy. Uh, unfortunately for them, those three players, three fantastic players, they had to sell them because of their financial problems. But now uh, I think some of their younger players, perhaps they'll be looking to keep hold of them. Uh, in 2018-19, Porto became the first por- Portuguese side to win the, the UEFA Youth League, which, of course, you know, the Champions League for uh, under-19s. You know, you've got the best academies in the world competing in that, haven't you? And so to win that was really quite a feather in their cap. And this year, uh, eight players who were part of that team have got minutes in the senior team. You know, none of them were really key parts of the team. You can't say that. But, uh, you know, all of them came in and almost all of them, you know, they they had bright moments and they looked, uh, you know, they they didn't look overawed and they looked like they might make a big contribution. Fabio Silva is one we really like at Scouted. I mean, you know, who, who doesn't? like a striker who scores goals and sports a great haircut, you know, um, <laughs> youngest, youngest goal scorer and league goal scorer for FC Porto and, and, and the youngest scorer at the, the Estadio Dragao. I mean, how high are the expectations of him amongst Porto supporters, but also those who follow Portuguese football in general? Yeah, they are high and he's looked good, you know, when he's come on. Like I said, he hasn't looked overawed, you know, really, uh, I think he suffers a little bit from his style of play, which doesn't really fit into the mould of Sergio Conceição's team. Sergio Conceição likes big, strong, physical forwards. Uh, you know, you just look at the forwards they normally line up with, uh, Moussan Barrega, uh, Tiquinho Suarez, Fabio Silva is, uh, you know, is, is a smaller, more diminutive player, darting striker, you know, very skillful, really alert and yeah, he's looked quite good when it's when it's come on. I think we always have to be very careful with strikers uh, when we look at their youth record. And of course, it's a very different thing. I'm sure you'll know this as an expert in youth football. It's a it's a very different 
different things, scoring a ton of goals in youth football and then trying to transpose that into senior football. And we've, we've got some good examples of that here in Portugal. There's a player at Sporting a few years ago called Betinho, who was just scoring an unreal amount of goals at youth football, but could never do it when he stepped up to senior football. Uh, Jose Gomez at uh, Benfica, another one who comes to mind, more or less the same thing. Uh, Fabio Silva, I think it's a case of wait and see, but he's, uh, you know, the signs so far look good. Like you said, he, he got the record for the youngest ever starter. Uh, well, first of all, the youngest ever player to make his debut in the league, then the youngest ever starter and the youngest ever scorer for uh, for Porto, you know, so that certainly means something. His stats this year, they're not too bad. He scored three goals. And when you have a look on paper, uh, he played 24 times. So that doesn't seem so great. But then you you, ha- you take a closer look and most of those appearances were 5, 10, 15 minutes at the end of games. And so if you actually break it down to minutes, he scored those three goals in 790 minutes, which, uh, you know, works out about eight games, eight or nine games. And so suddenly you see it's not too bad. So, yeah, one to look out for, Fabio Silva. I'd say off the rest, I'd say Fabio Vieira, a midfielder who made a really big impact, uh, you know, after the break for the pandemic. Uh, The last uh, eight or nine games, he played almost all of them, actually, either as a substitute and even started a a couple of games. And, uh, you know, he looked really good, slipped into that first team, really smooth, quite an elegant player, very good passer. Uh, he managed to get uh, two goals as well and a couple of assists. And I think that's definitely one to look out for, Fabio Vieira. Yeah, Fabio Vieira, um, he was one that I was going to I was going to come to you on because, you know, he was uh, one who's who's played for, for the B-side, for, for, for Porto's B-side, and has been able to translate those performances um, from, from playing in Liga Pro, which is the Portuguese second division, to playing um, in, in the top flight. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, mean I, go, I suppose that goes to show that you know it can be done. That not all the players will be like Betinho's um, or Jose Gomez's, as, as you mentioned. Um, and I suppose those with a, a good memory will will remember a certain Cristiano playing for Sporting about 18 years ago. And I suppose more recently, uh, João Felix breaking through at Benfica, you know, you know which was an excellent year, uh, an excellent season for him. Um, in terms of Fabio Silva, do you think that they've that, that Porto have got a player on their hands? who can perhaps reach similar levels. And I suppose it depends on whether he'll be afforded enough game time to, to make that impact. But do you think that there will be a pathway and uh, in, into the first team there? Because uh, you mentioned about Constisau's um, style of play. Do you think that maybe, you know, he yes, he's he's got all these records already, but he maybe won't hit the heights of, of the likes of Felix, for example? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. Uh... It's very interesting being listening to Sergio Conceição in his press conferences. He's been asked a lot about youth football, uh, you know, these young players, because obviously, you know, nobody likes uh, anything better, you know, among the fans and even the local media than seeing, you know, local players, uh, you know, uh, come through the academy and then thrive in the first team. And, uh, and so there's been quite a lot of pressure for him to you know, outside pressure to play these kids a bit more. And he's been quite, uh, I'd say he's been kind of drip feeding them into the first team. And so he's even got a bit of criticism for that. But he's, he says he he's not bothered about whether they come through 
the academy. He doesn't. It's not bothered if they're 17 years old or if they're 37 years old. You know, like Pep. <laughs> He's a. He just picks his team depending on what is required for each particular game. And so, basically, reading between the lines, you know, I don't think he's going to make it easy for these kids. I don't think he's made it a goal of his to kind of, you know, launch the careers of, you know, kind of nurture these players. His his overall goal, understandably so, is making sure Porto win matches. So, I don't think it will be easy for Fabio Silva his style of play isn't really a natural suit for uh, Sergio Conceição's, you know, style of play. To be honest, I'd be very surprised if he makes the kind of impact that Joao Félix made. It's really amazing, Joao Félix. He he was only a Benfica player, really, or senior player, for less than a season, and then he got sold for 126 million euros. You know, which is absolutely remarkable. So, I think asking anyone to replicate anything like that is a a very big ask. Mm, definitely. I, I, and I kind of resonate with what you're saying there because, you know, who is going to realistically replicate the the astronomical rise and, and success that Joao Felix had? Um, you know, it's an unrealistic expectation. Um, but I just wanted to sort of gauge your your expertise on that particular area. Um, moving on, I'd really like to draw particular attention to sporting because under Ruben Amorim, the new head coach, he's really ushered in a policy of uh, essentially, I'm going to see how many teenagers I can get on the pitch at once, which, you know, from a scouted perspective, it is fantastic. And I suppose a couple of those have, have really caught our eye. Um, and one in particular has allegedly, uh, I say with air quotes, uh, caught Arsenal's eye, and that is Jorson Fernandes. Uh, and, and he's only really played a handful of minutes so far. Um, but one of the teenagers to have really made his place in the team, his own, since breaking through, um, has been uh, Eduardo Karejma at centre-back. Um, who seems like a really good ball progressor for his age, especially, um, you know, he's tremendously confident too in, in sort of that back three uh, as the right-sided centre-back. Tom, what are your thoughts firstly on sort of the wealth of players that are, that are being given time at Sporting under Amorim, but also uh, Quaresma in particular? Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, quite an exciting time for Sporting in terms of their youth products, which is, of course, a club which is steeped in history of producing fantastic talents. Of course, the only club in the world who has produced two Ballon d'Or winners uh, out of its academy uh, in Figo and Ronaldo. You know, and it really was the what defined Porto uh, Sporting for years and years, just this amazing uh, academy they had. They, they quite often, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I'd say for good stretches, you're talking about five, six, seven years, uh, their team would always have seven, eight homegrown players in. Uh, you know, and they were doing quite well at that time as well, <laughs> unlike now. Uh, so why has this changed uh, all of a sudden? Again, out of necessity, sporting are in a terrible way financially, like most Portuguese clubs, and even uh, you know on the pitch they've done really poorly over the last few seasons. And so Ruben Amorim came in and he made it his policy, and the president uh, Frederico Verandas. Uh, said it was their policy now they'd be focusing kind of going back to their identity as it were focusing very much on uh, you know their youth players and of course we've heard this so often from so many presidents and managers no doubt about it that's exactly what he's done you know it's quite remarkable since uh, football restarted most games uh, sporting started with uh, seven or eight that's like 22 years old or younger players and, you know, a lot of those were teenagers. 
and some of them are very exciting. Uh, I'll come on to Quaresma in a little while. Uh, it's certainly one that has raised a lot of eyebrows, but I think the one who's really impressed me without any doubt is uh, Nuno Mendes, the left back. He really does look a, a fantastic prospect and a lot of talk already about uh, Manchester United being interested, sniffing around. And from what I've seen, quite honestly, I'd say he is definitely the player at Sporting who looks most likely to to go on and make it very big. Really, really fast, physical, aggressive left back who's got a really good touch and uh, you know fantastic crossing ability. Links up very well, although you know this is a very changed Sporting side. So he's, he's kind of still building those combinations with his teammates. You know, he's almost a different teammate every game. And also, certainly the first time he's playing senior football, he was own, he made his debut was actually the day before his 17th birthday, uh, a couple of months ago. So uh, he's a really exciting prospect, Nuno Mendes. And yeah, without doubt, the, the guy you mentioned, Eduardo Quaresma, no relation to Ricardo. You know, he looks really good as well. Really good for, uh, like you said, right-sided uh, central defender in a, in a three-man defence. I think what has stood out has been his confidence, his passing ability. He's, uh, you know, good in the air as well, aggressive. He's still quite raw, I'd say. You know, he's, he looked really good when he was thrown straight in after the uh, the resumption of football, the away game at Gimmerains, I'm remembering especially, is probably Sporting's man of the match in that game. But, uh, you know, he's still raw and his positioning still leaves a little bit to be desired. And he was actually quite shaky, I'd say, in the couple, two or three of the games I saw, you know, in person. He was actually quite shaky. I think he was brought off in one of those matches. So still got a lot to learn, but, you know, tremendous potential. Two very exciting players there. And, of course, a third one who's really made a bit of a splash since the resumption is Jovan Cabral, uh, the winger who's just been fantastic. You know, he's always, he's a really explosive player and he's always had the ability to to do something fantastic on the pitch. You know, he scores a lot of long range goals, scored two successive free kicks, direct free kicks, quite spectacular, you know, one in off the bar and have one right in the top corner. He's a very interesting player Jovan Cabral because he has this ability to do these amazing things but then he his decision making in the past was so bad that you know it that would almost be his only contributions he'd do something amazing but then for the rest of the game it'd be almost a little bit of a liability for sporting but he's really come on leaps and bounds and his his whole general play his link-up play has been has been excellent and I think his he's the player who you know, it's really come on a lot since, I suppose you can't give the credit to Amarin, just Amarin, but uh, he's really looked Sporting's most dangerous player and quite in a team which has really struggled going forward. He's really been there, you know, the one bright spark for Sporting. Yeah, you were kind of glowing in your praise there for, for Nuno Menge, um, the, the the young left-back um, who, who has recently signed a new contract as well, which runs until 
2025, um, the same as Eduardo Koreshma. So you can see that, you know, Sporting are protecting their assets there, you know, players who could potentially make them, you know, a quick buck in future or a considerable amount of money that's going to help them get out of those financial difficulties. Um, I mean, I know he's only played around 700 minutes or so, but do you think that Mendes uh, could perhaps hold down that place in the team as sort of the left-sided, sort of left-wing-back left, left back type player in the 3-4-3 um, going forward, you know, in, t- in terms of next season? You know, who who realistically is going to be challenging him um, for, for, for that position? Because just looking down Sporting squad list, you know, they do have a lot of young players, but they do have a lot of, you know, more seasoned players veteran not maybe not veterans but more seasoned professionals you know who yeah. do you think that do you think that he could perhaps really nail down a spot and have a, a breakout season as sort of an 18 year old left wing back for, for sporting next season oh absolutely yes i think the problem for sporting would be trying to keep hold of him because i think he'll have some suitors already but if they manage to keep hold of him uh i think there's no doubt about it since he came into the team uh which was straight after the uh, I'm not sure if it was the first or the second match after the the break, you know, the, the resumption of football. Uh, he hasn't left the team. You know, he's been a starter every game. And uh, when Sporting sold uh, Bruno Fernandes and then uh, and Baz Dost, of course, earlier this season, I think most people would have said their best player is uh, Marcus Acuna, uh, the Argentinian, uh, who precisely plays, usually at Sporting, at left-back. Uh, and so uh, that hasn't made a difference at all. You know, Acuna was injured uh, when football resumed. So that kind of gave, uh, opened the door for Mendes. But then when Acuna was uh, back up and running again, uh, you know, Mendes kept his place in the team. And it was quite interesting because Ruben Amarin, uh, he actually changed the position of Acuna, uh, I suppose, to accommodate Mendes, you know, or to make sure Mendes didn't, was kept in the team. And so Acuna was actually the left-sided centre-back in the three-man defence, which is quite interesting. It's not it's not a position you, you would have expected a player, you know, is notionally a winger to to play. But, uh, you know, he's, he's a really high-quality player, Acuna, so he did a fairly good job there. But I think Mendes, he's already nailed down that spot, without a doubt, uh, provided he stays at Sporting, and provided he stays injury-free. I think there's no doubt about it. That's his position. Well, I mean, that's kind of that, that's great news for for him, for for the club, but also you know for for any fans of youth football, because you know if, if he's going to be playing there regularly, then Sporting is definitely going to be sort of on our hit list to, to be watching in uh, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, and I suppose we've discussed a, a handful of Sporting defenders there in Karajma and and Mendes, um, and 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 only one attacker. So I suppose it's only fair to to balance it out with another attacker. And as this one isn't a a Portuguese product um, per se. Rather, he's Ecuadorian, which which is interesting in itself because you know Ecuadorians typically you think you know perhaps Antonio Valencia, and then maybe you're thinking further down the line there's not too many more notable uh, Ecuadorian players. But um, Gonzalo Plata uh, at, at Sporting signed for around one million euros at the beginning of 2019, um, which is which is coincidentally when I when I first came across him playing at the under 20 Sudamericano. But Sporting were clearly on the case much earlier than that, um, as you'd expect. Uh, but I mean, at the Under-20 World Cup last summer, he was part of a great and exciting Ecuador team. Um, and this year, he's, he's he's gradually made his way into the first team, um, especially so under Amorim. 
Um, and, and that's been good to see for, for a player that we've tracked for some time. Uh, but the, the question that I really wanted to ask you, Tom, is, is is next year where he sort of explodes into life and, and onto the radar of major European clubs like like we've seen from the from Pats and Dhaka, for example, at Red Bull Salzburg this season. Because, you know, as you mentioned earlier with, with the likes of Jovan Cabral, he may not do sort of the, the long range strikes and the free kicks and, and that singular moment of magic. But I'd say that over the course of a game, you know, he's probably the player who you'd, you'd, you'd notice a little bit more thinking, oh, he's maybe he's done a he's done a few dribbles, you know, he's created a few chances, you know, he's been a bit more consistent over the 90 minutes. What are your what are your thoughts on Plata, really? Yeah, he's a, he's a really interesting player and uh, he's, you know, amazing left foot. His, his, his right foot pretty much is for standing on. He just uses his left foot for everything and very good dribbler. You know, and wins a lot of free kicks around the box as well, which is very good for sporting, of course, when they've got the likes of Cabral to try and uh, convert them. He does need to work a lot on on his consistency and on, I think he's a little bit immature as well, to be honest, in football terms. You know, Amarine likes him. He obviously likes him. He's made him uh, a starter for most of these games uh, since the, uh, you know, since the restart. I'd say he's been kind of in and out his form. Uh, he's done some good, some good things. He does, like you say, he's a player who's not afraid. He's definitely confident in his own ability and he's not afraid to attack the opposition. Uh, really good close control, good to watch. But, uh, you know, he's got very poor decision-making, I'd say, a lot of the time. And sometimes he just seems to kind of drift out of games and, and sometimes, I mean, I have to say, I went to the Lisbon Derby last game of the season, and I have to say, he was absolutely awful. He was Sporting's worst player. He, you know, just gave the ball away time and time again. And it was no surprise when he was hooked at half time. So, you know, there's raw potential there, without a doubt. But, uh, you know, I think he needs a lot of work. Uh, also, of course, it's tough for him because, like you said, he's, you know, he's uh, a long way from home. And he's still very young. He's been at Sporting for about a year, I think, but he's it's still a teenager. And so, you know, the raw talent is there. You can see it. But uh, I think he's still got quite a lot of work to do to to nail down that place. Yeah, certainly there, there's there's some hope yet. Uh, I mean, I certainly hope so because I think Plata, yeah, when, when he's on his game, is, is brilliant. But as you mentioned then in, in the derby, yeah. I mean, that wasn't a game that I caught, but... Um, yeah, hearing that he'd been hooked at half time isn't exactly a ringing endorsement. Uh, yeah, the but... game, the game before also, I watched the game before also against uh, Victoria de Stubel as well, which is probably Sporting's worst performance since the startup. And again, he was really poor in that game. But again, I don't want to kind of pick on him because that was almost everyone was poor in that game. And uh, and like you say, when he, you know, when he's in full flow, you can see really there's something quite special there. And so yeah. I think we just have to wait and see, definitely. Yeah, and he's still young and he still has plenty of time to learn on and work on that footballing IQ as, or footballing intelligence, as you put it. Um, now, this this podcast, has, this episode has, has effectively mirrored Portuguese football in a way. You know, it's been dominated by the big three so far. Rest assured, we are going to get on to discussing some some players at Vitoria Guimarães and Sporting Braga uh, for, in a little while. But for now, I just wanted to gain a, a little bit of clarity on a situation which seems like a perplexing one for, for anyone who followed Benfica when João Felix was 
was there because he wasn't the only young player who who was you know pulling up trees um, just perhaps in the most spectacular fashion. Um, uh, Florentino Luis was also there who and still is and we thought he was brilliant you know really secure defensively worked well alongside Gedson Fernandez. However, this year it's been really different for him, and, and I suppose it's probably been quite difficult for Florentino. You know, he hasn't played a lot at all. Um, you know, why has that been the case? Why, why has he been out of the team? Has there been sort of uh, maybe an uh, intra-club politics playing playing a, a role there? Yeah, I think you've really hit the nail on the head there. It's more to do with with politics, maybe, and uh, and finance than the actual quality of the player. Because, like you said, he was. You know, Florentino was absolutely brilliant last season. Uh, Joao Felix got all the, all the plaudits, and rightly so, for that magnificent run that Benfica had to overhaul Porto and win the championship under Bruno Lage. But Bruno Lage, the manager at the time, brought in a lot, who was the former uh, B-team manager, brought in a lot of the young players, and most of them did very well. And, uh, and as, as well as Felix, of course, who was just outstanding, uh, Florentino Luigi was also absolutely superb. Uh, I remember hearing one or two actually Portuguese football journalists. I remember one, uh, Luigi Cristoval, who I respect a lot, radio journalist and TV journalist. And he was saying that if he was a rich European club, uh, he would, uh, and you know, and he was sent to scout Benfica, uh, you know, for the next big star. He said he would recommend buying. Florentino <coughs> Luiz and not Joao Felix. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure about that, but that kind of... Very big call. But that kind of, you know, shows you how, you know, uh, what an impact he had and how important he had. He really was a full crew part of that of that team and looked, uh, you know, just... Uh, we, we were talking about mature, maturity a little bit earlier, weren't we, with uh, the likes of Cabral and and Plata and Florentino Luiz just uh, was kind of the opposite. He just looked so mature. He just looked so at home, you know, in even in the big matches and in the European matches, really, really classy performer. And so, uh, you know, people really expected him to kick on this season. There was already quite a lot of rumours that big clubs were interested. Juventus, for instance, had uh, has been constantly linked to him and still are actually. Uh, at Christmas time, or you know, in a January transfer window, Sporting uh, went and bought uh, Julian Vagel uh, from Dortmund, which was a bit of a feather in their cap, you know, for them and f- even for Portuguese football. You know, such a highly rated player, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, one of the top talents in Europe, you could say. I know his things haven't gone quite well for him since, but you know, really class player. And Benfica went out and bought him, but uh, he played in a, pretty much the same position as uh, Florentino. And when you go out and spend 20 million on a player and you're a Portuguese club, so that's a hell of a lot of money for a Portuguese club, you really have to play them every game. And so he did. Uh, you know, Weigl played, uh, you know, and he's looked good. He's looked like a classy player that, that we all knew he was. Uh, but unfortunately for Florentino, that's seen him you know, pushed to the sidelines. And I think what surprised people was is that Florentino, you know, instead of, you know, perhaps moving to the subs or perhaps changing the formation a little bit to fit him in there or perhaps giving him, you know, alternating occasionally with Weigl, he was pretty much just frozen out, which was very surprising indeed. You know, he barely played a a minute uh, after Weigl's arrival. Uh, You know, that changed when Bruno Lage resigned 
uh, for the just last few games of the season, last four or five games of the season. And uh, Verissimo took over and he was uh, brought back in, Florentino, occasionally playing with Weigel, actually, which, you know, proved it could be done. And, uh, you know, and he looked good again. He looked really good. So it's really a bit of a mystery what happened there. But, yeah, he's definitely, I would say, uh, probably Benfica's most uh, exciting youth player at the moment. And, you know, definitely one of the best young players in Portugal. Yeah, certainly. That's the case that, that we thought as well with Florentino. And that's why it was so perplexing to us that, you know, he wasn't playing football. And obviously it goes to show that, the you know, the you were able to fit both Florentino and, and Weigel into the same team. So, you know, it could be done. Um, just moving on from, from the big three, um, Sporting actually finished fourth this season. So I suppose we must give some time to discussing Braga, who finished third, um, who will be in next year's Europa League group stage once again. Um, and now, before I get stuck into the who's who at Braga, um, if you're listening to this and you haven't either visited uh, or, or seen Braga Stadium before, do please do so right now. I mean, it's called Estadio Municipal de Braga. And without giving the game away, it is pretty unique. Um, anyway, there's... The, Enough about that. But the star of the show, uh, who won't be at the quarry, as it's aptly nicknamed, a little bit of a hint there, uh, next season um, is Francisco Trincao because he has already secured a 30 million euro move to Barcelona in January. Uh, and I suppose I'll, I'll let Tom wax lyrical about why he is so entertaining. But w- what is it with what is it about Trincao that, that has sort of attracted the attention of a club like Barcelona? Yeah, well, you know, again, one of these... It's kind of a flurry of, well, Portugal always produces very good youth players, don't they, and youth teams. And uh, and they won the under-19 European Cup, uh, European Championship a few seasons ago, and or two or three years ago. And he was really pretty much the star of the show. So we all knew that he had great potential. I was quite surprised, and I think a lot of people were quite surprised, when uh, Barcelona you know, paid £30 million for him in the January transfer window. You have to remember, he wasn't even a nailed-on starter for Braga in the first half of the season. And Trincao, you know, looked really good when he came on. But, uh, you know, like I say, he wasn't a nailed-on starter. They sold him to Barcelona. And ever since then, I suppose uh, they said, I don't know, maybe they thought, oh, OK, we've got our money for him. Now we're going to get the most out of him from a sporting sense. He's been a, a undisputed starter and he's been absolutely superb. And his, uh, you know, 30 million is a lot of money, but you can kind of, he's, he's 20 years old and he's, play, he's played, he's made such an impact that you kind of think it's probably money well spent or possibly money, you know, well spent. He's been really, really good. Uh, basically, you know, he's wide midfielder, really good at bringing the ball forward, uh, you know, transitioning the ball. He's... Uh, he can he can go either way, uh, you know. He can go outside the the fullback, or he can cut inside. He likes to cut inside a lot. Uh, generally, he plays on the right, and he's got really good left foot. He's, he's scored some spectacular goals, uh, and you know a lot of assists. Uh, but I think what impresses me most about him is just again his his maturity. You know, very good decision making. He's just continues playing senior football in the same way he played youth football, which, as you know, isn't an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, you're stepping up and all of a sudden, instead of facing other young, raw, green players, you're, you, you, you know, you're coming up against tried and trusted 
professionals or you know veterans who's kind of all been around the block and even so he's managed to stand out and and to make his mark so yeah it's, i'd say at, at this time it's probably the you could say the if, if joao felix was kind of the golden boy of portuguese football last season you could say that trincao is this season in that you know he's probably the player which excites people the most and thinks perhaps this is you know Portugal's next big superstar. Of course, a lot will depend on how things go at Barcelona. He he was bought by Barcelona, but then he was loaned back immediately to Braga. It's going to be interesting to see now, you know, what happens if he if he goes to Barcelona. We all know it's for for young players. It's going to be, you know, we're talking about Barcelona here, club who, mm. you know, wants to win a Champions League every year. So it's going to be very tough to to hold down a place in that side really has been so impressive this second half of the season. But yeah, definitely, uh, you know, a very exciting prospect. It's essentially, it's a, it's a baptism of fire for any player going to Barcelona, never mind a 20-year-old who doesn't have sort of domestic experience outside of Portugal. So yeah, it will be, it'll be interesting to see how he adapts. And, you know, even if he doesn't do very well almost immediately, then I think, you know, the jury should still be out on him for quite a while because as you say, he's only 20. Uh, and and just drawing back on on what you were saying about his his form for for the inter- youth international sides, you know, I remember him from that under nineteen European Championships win um, back in twenty eighteen um, because he was alongside João Felipe, also known as Jota, um, who's yeah. at Benfica, and th- and they were both tremendous, you know, both coming from the wings, switching positions, scoring goals, trying you know those audacious bits of trickery. I mean, I, I won't lie, it did like yourself, it did surprise me a little bit. Um, that Barcelona did, you know, come in for him for at such a fee, um, but you know he has he's backed it up with some really fine performances since since the restart since he's you know been back on loan at Braga, um, but just uh, sort of away from the football pitch, you know, thirty million euros isn't a huge amount of money to Barcelona, um, yeah. but it is but it is to Braga. You know, if it's spent wisely, how useful can that money be to a club in in, in the Primera Liga? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a just just one more thing on on Trincao. Uh, you know, it's really interesting what you say because you know going like you said going to Barcelona, even if you're a seasoned professional, is is quite a daunting task. You know, and we we saw that of course with Andre Gomez, who unfortunately didn't really uh, you know have a very good time there. Although you you could argue that he he was almost not given a chance, especially by the fans. Uh, but I think in some ways, you know, a 20-year-old player going there has got a little bit of an advantage in, in the sense that, you know, people won't be expecting him to go there and be the best player on the pitch. And so, and he, you know, kind of the the audacity of youth as well. Maybe he can try one or two things, which if they don't come off, people would just say, oh, OK, you know, he's still green, he'll learn. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting. I think this will be a, you know, it's a really good opportunity for him. And, uh, you know, I think, it will be interesting to see how he handles that pressure because, like I say, I think for a 20-year-old, even at 30 million euros, going to Barcelona is perhaps easier than for a 25-year-old or 26-year-old. And, of course, he'll have Nelson Semedo there, other Portuguese, to kind of help him find his feet, hopefully. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, as for Braga getting that windfall, yeah, you're right. The, the emergence of Braga has been really one of the stories of Portuguese football in the last 10, 15 years or so. Uh, you know, historically, it's just such a, a league so dominated by the top three. 
in 85 years of uh, you know of the Portuguese league um, 83 years uh, it's been either Benfica, Porto or Sporting have won the league only twice has uh, one of those teams not won the league so that gives you an idea of you know exactly how dominant or how much of a gap there is between eh, there's a huge gap in terms of finance in terms of trophies in terms of fan base between those three and the and the rest but Braga they've been really uh you know consistently steadily building up and uh you know and and like this season finishing third again and they've done that uh, you know they've finished in the top three quite a few times the last few seasons finished second once uh they were actually in the running to win the league until the last game of the season that's in George Jesus's first season in Benfica back in 2010 so uh, you know won the cup a couple of times since then won the league cup so you know they're really a club that has that's really well run and is building step by step and they're their president, who, uh, Antonio Salvador, who has kind of overseen this progress, he's made no secret that his, you know, his big ambition is to see Braga win the Primera Liga, you know, to become Portuguese champions. And so I think this this uh, 30 million euros they got for uh, Trincao will be hugely important, perhaps not for going out and buying uh, a tremendous amount of players, but basically for securing the best players they have. There's not much doubt about it. Braga's squad, player for player, is stronger than sporting squad. And so uh, they'll be able to presumably hold on to their best players. You know, I think it certainly won't be a question of finance, perhaps only if a player uh, feels that they need to have a step up in their career, perhaps going abroad, uh, will they leave? Uh, and they've got some, you know, really, really, very top quality players in that side. Ricardo Horta comes to mind, uh, you know, scored no end of goals. Doesn't quite fit into your youth <laughs> category, I suppose, of this show. He's 25 now, but he's uh, <laughs> it, a great player. And, uh, you know, if they can call, they can keep hold of him, that, that will make a big difference. Uh, you know, they've got really good goalkeeper as well, Mateus, uh, Brazilian goalkeeper. They've got one or two interesting young defenders especially David Carmel. So, you know, they've got a good, well-rounded squad. Yeah, I think, it. you know, that 30 million euros could really see Braga even consolidate themselves further. And maybe we're, you know, maybe we're, we're not far off the time where we have to be talking about the big four instead of the big three, which is obviously a good thing for Portuguese football. Yeah, that would certainly be exciting in terms of sort of a competitive uh, competitiveness angle. And I was going to say throughout that, I was thinking, you know, f- well, fear not Braga fans, because even though you may be losing Francisco Trincao, um, you know, who won't be there next season, um, you will still have the Hortas, Ricardo and Andre and, and Wenderson Galeno, who, you know, are oh, yeah, all exciting yeah. on the, on, they're all exciting on their day in equal measure, you know, for different oh, reasons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I should have mentioned him. Exactly. Yeah, super. And that's another example. Of course, he was at Porto. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, he was and then obviously Porto. went to Rio Ave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, you know, they, quite a few people were surprised actually when Porto sold him because, yeah, he was really good on loan at Rio Ave, and even at Porto, you know, he had he, sh- he showed flashes of, you know, what he could do, and uh, you know, Braga uh, bought him, and he's, yeah, he's been he's been really good this season as well. Yeah, um, moving further down the final standings and, and missing out on Europa League football uh, this season, or next season rather, uh, Vitoria Guimaraes, um, who gave Arsenal quite a good game uh, in both fixtures um, earlier this season in that competition, uh, but they won't be there. Um, 
that was in part due to sort of the the dynamism and the individuality of of Marcus Edwards and you know to anybody listening to this podcast uh, on a regular basis you'll have heard us you know discussing Marcus Edwards because you know he's he's a former Spurs prospect playing um, abroad uh, which isn't isn't exactly you know gone down the the well-beaten track for a lot of young English players Um, but Plenty's sort of been made that he has a 15 million euro release clause and uh, allegedly around half of that is owed to Spurs in sort of a sell-on clause. Um, but what is sort of the word coming out of Portugal regarding Edwards and his future? And and sort of how, how have you found him in the league this season? Because, you know, he does come across as sort of a, a one-of-a-kind sort of player. Oh, yeah, he's been brilliant. He's been really good, Joe. Yeah, it's really surprised me. I didn't, obviously, when he came, it was a bit of a coup. You know, I admit I didn't really know anything about him, but, you know, reading up on him and how he was highly thought of at at, uh, at Spurs, you know, I was quite excited to see what he could do. Took a while to get going. Only really, uh, you know, became a regular from about October onwards. But he's been really good, really, really, really exciting player. Uh, you know, very low centre of gravity. What really impresses me about him or, what you know, a real feature of him is so direct. You know, he just gets the ball, he's got one thing on his mind, and that's to attack the opposition net. And uh, in, in some ways, I think he's quite similar to Portuguese uh, forwards. Maybe that's why, perhaps that's why he's, you know, he's managed to adapt so well here. In that, you know, he's quite small, very skillful, speedy. Uh, but I'd, I'd say one in one aspect, he does differ, and that's, that's like I say, his directness is so, it's like an arrow just, uh, you know, pointed at the opposition there, and his, his you know, it really can be a handful when his, and, and, and his, one thing which has been great to see is the way he's in, he's kind of progressed and just got better and better as the season got on, you know, went on. Uh, you know, we talked about Benfica's woes, and, you know, they were going through a bad patch of form, but when they played, uh, here at the Estrada de Luz uh, about two or three weeks ago, um, Benfica against Guimarães, and uh, he was just amazing. He's just ripping them apart, really. The Benfica actually won that game in the end, but they were very fortunate to do so. And I think uh, Guimarães were, you know, at, at least a match of them for the first half. And, uh, you know, Marcus Edwards, he, this was one stage, he got the ball just shimmied into the box. Uh, such a fast kind of change of change of pace and changing his feet smacked this incredible shot that hit the bar and post and came out you know so unlucky with that he, he didn't score kind of a wonder goal there yeah really really exciting as like you say 15 apparently he's got 15 million release scores which just seems ridiculously low to me uh, or gets uh, i mean ridiculously low in that someone's going to get a bargain uh it's that will, you know, even it's 50%, which Gimarange get, that's quite a lot of money for Gimarange, and especially, of course, considering they didn't pay anything to, to get him. So, uh, you know, they'd be pleased with that. There's been rumours here that perhaps he would go to Porto, quite a few rumours. I'm not sure that Porto, like we've, I touched it on it earlier, they've had terrible financial problems. You know, they actually, you know, were punished by... Uh, UEFA for financial fair play and banned from buying players for a period of time. I think that ban's now over, but obviously money isn't abundant, so I'm not even sure they could afford Edwards. But uh, yeah, it's just been a revelation. 
uh, you know, it's been a real pleasure having him in the in the Portuguese league. Certainly, yeah, we've been we've loved following his progress because obviously the previous season he was on loan in the Netherlands as well. So you know he's he's a player who's who's sort of blazed the trail and, and done very well. So it's it's very good to see that when, whenever a player does that, no matter their nationality. Um, but now with just as we come into the end of sort of the podcast, you know, get into the bottom half of, of the Liga Noche final standings, and that's sort of where my knowledge starts to come up a little dry. Um, I'm familiar with the teams, but in terms of the personnel, I'm I'm not exactly clued up. Um, I do know that that Aves, who who were who were relegated this year, have had a pretty torrid time, um, mainly through financial difficulties and the like. Um, you know, the inability to pay players, and I think it was one of their final games. Um, against Benfica, which they ultimately lost 4-0. Um, I think it was the first minute of the game in which they kind of didn't, the, the players didn't move and just let Benfica pass the ball around them as sort of a, a protest to, to the club's um, shoddy running, essentially. Um, but staying with the bottom half, um, are, are there any sort of under-23 players in particular on your radar who you'd say are, are worth a mention and, and could potentially uh, get a move further up the table to, to play for a bigger club in, in the Primera? Yeah, well, I, th- I think there's a few, just one or two players we should mention here, not actually from, from the bottom half, but from other smaller clubs, uh, which is Famalicão. Uh, I've uh, been very interesting this season. Uh, they just came up from the second tier last season and they've got strong connections with George Mendes. And so it's interesting, you know, talking about the Avs situation. Avs are the perfect example of a foreign owner who's done an absolutely awful job at uh, running the club. You know, there's a, a Chinese owner, I think, who who bought the, you know, uh, most of the shares of Avs and, and ran the club and it's just run it into the ground, complete financial mismanagement. And, you know, there was even question marks about whether they would survive as, a, as an entity. And, uh, and if they did, um, forfeit those last matches which did seem to be very much on the cards at one point you know that would have led to an automatic ban from the professional leagues for I think eight or ten years or something so you know it's a very sad story for a club which is from a small town and which experienced probably the well without doubt the 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 biggest highlight of its uh of its whole history just two years ago when they won the Portuguese cup uh, you know, pulling off a bit of a surprise, well, big surprise beating Sporting in the final. So, yeah, it's been very sad the way they've, uh, you know, fallen from grace. But, uh, like I say, that's a perfect example of a very poorly run club who's been bought by a foreign owner. It shows that you have to be very careful with, uh, you know, the owner you choose. But another example on the other uh, end of the scale is Family Calm, who also have been bought by a foreign owner, an Israeli uh, businessman. Uh, but they've done really well. And they've, uh, like I said, they've got strong links with George Mendes. And so in some ways, I think you can say that they've used their club as a bit of a shop window for, for players. But again, that's not such a, you know, such a bad thing because really everybody benefits. The young players, they get to play in a top league. Uh, the uh, you know they get they they get to develop uh, familiar themselves they get some very talented youngsters who otherwise they would you know would never be able to dream of getting I mean most of these players are or a lot of these players are on loan from clubs like Atletico Madrid Valencia and the likes 
and uh, and I think here we have to flag up, uh, I'd say flag up uh, three players, especially three or four players from Family Cal, which uh, the player who's actually hasn't had that much fanfare, but it's really impressed me is Croatian midfielder called uh, Urus Racic. He's, he's giant of a player i think he's almost two meters tall but uh really good midfielder obviously you know such a big frame and physically strong you'll expect him to uh to make an impact in midfield just from his you know his physical attributes but what really impresses me is this kind of raking passes kind of reminds me of some of those uh glenn hoddle passes of yesteryear i think might be showing my age a bit there, <laughs> uh, but he's a, he's a really good player. There's got two two Gonsalves, uh players whose surnames are Gonsalves. They're not actually related, but uh, Pedro Gonsalves, a midfielder, and Diogo Gonsalves, forward, unknown from Benfica, two really good players there. And uh, their centre-back, Nenium Perez, who's unknown from Atletico Madrid, again, just 20 years old, but really mature for his age. One of the best centre-backs in Portugal this year, without a doubt. Uh, and up front, Tony Martinez as well, uh, young Spanish striker, also looks really good. So I think there are there are players, of course, the problem with this model that Familical have, it's not really a long-term model in terms of building a team uh, because almost all these players will probably be gone this summer, back to their parent clubs or perhaps being sold but uh you know i think that's one especially for people who are interested in scouting and young footballers they should really try and check out family count because this is something i expect them to do recurrently for the next few years to look out for absolutely yeah this sounds like a, a handful of, of names there that i mean a few that i hadn't come across i was aware of the the few atletico madrid uh, guys at um at family Cal. Um, with Nehem Perez and, and Nicolas Chapacasse um, from yeah. from previous youth international tournaments, but no, there, there's certainly a few names that, that have even been flagged up for me there. Um, and I suppose we're, we're appro- approaching the point uh, of the, uh, the the podcast where we're, we're into added time, and you know the final whistle is going to sound. But um, huge, huge thank you uh, to, to you, Tom, uh, for answering my list of questions. I mean, it's been really satisfying to get your account, you know, firsthand on what has been an intriguing season in Portugal. And so as a look ahead to the following next few years, um, I mean, your work is fantastic. I've been following it um, as my primary source of Portuguese football news for years. Uh, and I thoroughly recommend uh, following Tom on Twitter to anybody who wants to stay in the loop with all things Portugal. Um, but if you've got anything that you'd like to, to promote, I mean, now is so the, 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 the time to do it, really. Uh, yeah, not really. Well, I suppose the best thing to do is just to follow my Twitter because... Anything I do, I just flag up on there anyway, even if it's not on Twitter. And uh, so that's my Twitter handle is Portugal One, which is P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L One, the number one. So, yeah, just head off there and then uh, try and get yourself familiar with Portuguese football if you're not at the moment. Definitely so. And I can't recommend that enough. Uh, that's Portugal at Portugal one. Uh, if you want to follow Tom on Twitter, um, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you use, uh, whether that be Apple podcasts, Spotify or another. Uh, and please let us know if you've enjoyed listening by, by giving us a generous review. Um, no nasty ones, please. Um, that's all from us. Uh, I've been Joe Donahue and, and you've been listening to the Scouted Football podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, see you soon. Bye bye.